You're listening to the Victory Church Podcast. Here at Victory, we are called to equip a caring, committed community of worshipers to reach their world for Jesus. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. Good morning, everybody. I'm Ed. This is Lisa. We're the senior pastors here. And this is our daughter, Haley Riley, and her husband, Paul. And we have a fantastic announcement concerning the call of God upon their lives. And uh, the announcement is that Haley is moving into the position of associate pastor of worship and creative arts. And uh, we're excited about that. And uh, she is not in that position because she's the uh, pastor's daughter. Uh, she has a call of God upon her own life. And uh, I have to say that as a proud dad, that I am excited for her acceptance of God's call. Uh, most of you know that she spent seven years in Australia, along with her husband most of that time, uh, being trained at Hillsong College where she got a theology degree and a master's in ministry of some sort. And uh, so she is well, well trained. And uh, in fact, uh, one of the people in charge of the worship course at Hillsong College said that she was the exemplary worship student. So, uh, you know, one of the best she's produced, they produce. So uh, I, I believe that uh, we're really blessed here at Victory Church to have her in that position. She's been serving as kind of an assistant in that area for the last few months, but since then she has been ordained into the gospel ministry and fully recognized in that uh, call of God upon her life. So we're really thankful for you making a way for her here and for uh, continuing to support and pray for her. And I'm going to ask her boss, because it wouldn't work. If I were her boss, it, this wouldn't work. But... <laughs> <laughs> but thankfully she has another boss and, and let's both you, you come on behind her and right. we'll let's lay hands on her and uh, I'll pray and then you pray with her. that'd be alright Heavenly Father we thank you for your call upon Haley's life thank you Lord that even from a young age she had a desire to be in gospel ministry not just because she was a PK but Lord it's your voice that she's heard and that she's responded to and we pray Lord that you would continue to work in her to help the church be what the church is supposed to be. We know this is not about her and her call. It's about you, and it's about your church. So, Lord, we pray that you be glorified in hers and Paul's lives. In Jesus' name. And, Father, we thank you as she steps into this new assignment, Lord, that you would just pour out your grace on her life. May she have a real tangible sense of the power of your presence at work. May there be an increased anointing on her life as a worship leader, as a leader, as a mentor, as a pastor. And God, we just release her into this role, and we, uh, we, we thank you. We, we lift up her arms. We support her. In, and thank you, God, for even this power couple, this team as well, in the way that you've gifted both of them, God. We thank you for bringing them here, and we bless Haley in this role and release her now in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. 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 Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. All right. Thanks, everybody. We're going to just go right into the message because that does tie in. 
God's call. And, you know, we recognize God's call into ministry. We recognize that God calls pastors along with apostles and teachers and evangelists. And we thank God for giving the church those kinds of ministries. But here's the reality. You are all called. If you're saved, if you're born again, you are called. Just say that about yourself. I am called. You are called by God. And God has a call on us, not only individually, He has a call on us collectively as a church. Now, sometimes we struggle with God's call. You know, we all want to know, what's God calling me to do? What's He calling me to be? We struggle with that, and that's been an issue from the beginning of the days of the church of Jesus Christ. What's my call? Well, God has called us to really be attentive to his voice and to respond to him and do what he wants us to do. No doubt about it. And I know when I first came here as pastor in 1992, I wanted to know God's call. I did not come with a preset agenda. I didn't come with the list of things that they taught me in seminary that I needed to do. I didn't come with some program that I learned at another church and say, God, how can we institute that here? I had to ask God, God, what is your call on this church? And it was a matter of prayer. It was a matter of fasting. It was a matter of seeking the Lord. And then, in a way that I think is sometimes typical of the Lord, last week or two weeks ago, I talked about how God loves to interrupt routines. How many of you know it's a good routine to take a bath or a shower daily? Yes, that's a good routine. And while I was in the shower, not really even thinking about spiritual things, all of a sudden, these words came to me. God has called Victory Church to equip a caring, committed community of worshipers to reach their world for Jesus. And, you know, I've submitted that to our board. I've submitted it to our leadership over the years. We have revisited that mission statement in the 20-something years since God gave it to me. And I don't think that we've been able to come up with anything better than the call of God that I received as an interruption during a shower. God has called Victory Church. He's called it to equip. We're an equipping church. We're not here just to do ministry up here on stage for everybody else. We are here to equip one another, to provoke one another to love and good works. We are called to equip a caring, committed community. God has called us to be a caring community and a community that we're committed to, that we're devoted to. A community of worshipers. That's our central identity. We are worshipers. The Father is seeking those who would worship in spirit and in truth. He's not looking for apostles and evangelists and pastors and teachers and anybody else. He is looking for worshipers. And that's what we are. We are a caring, committed community and a community of worshipers who are then equipped to reach our world for Jesus. We have to make an impact in our everyday lives. Amen. You're called to that. You individually are called to that. All Christians are called. That's the nature of your salvation. Paul alludes to that in a passage that Lisa pointed out last week. And we're going to dig into it a little bit more deeply this week. Ephesians chapter 4, 
beginning with verse 1. Hmm. Paul, as a prisoner for the Lord, a prisoner in the Lord, some might translate it a prisoner of the Lord, I am captivated by Jesus. Amen? Are you captivated by Jesus today? Amen. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Live a life worthy of the calling you have received. How do I do that? Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. I want to, first of all, focus on that first verse. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. You've received a calling. In fact, that literally is in the Greek, the calling to which you were called. Live a life worthy of the calling to which you were called. It's translated received because it seems redundant in the English language, but in the Greek it makes very good sense to be redundant. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling to which you were called. You are called. You, that's the emphatic way of stating that. This is for emphasis. You are called. You need to say that again. I am called. If you're born again, you are called. Now, if you're called, then you're called to live a life worthy of that calling. You are called to live a life worthy of God's call on your life. You are called. But that doesn't make you exempt from living a worthy lifestyle. Amen? Amen. See, the reason I want to say this today is because a lot of times we have an emphasis on the call. Knowing what it is. Knowing what we're called to do. But we fail to live out the full implications, a life worthy of the calling. And if we don't understand the importance of this, of living a life worthy of the call, then you know what we end up doing? We end up sabotaging our own call. I mean, we can't think that God has called us to a certain kind of ministry, whether a ministry that impacts just a couple of people, like a family, a few people, or a ministry to a church family as with a pastor and think that we can just live any old way and not undermine our calling. We as parents can mess up our calling as parents by not living a life worthy of that calling. We can mess our children up. I'm just thankful that in spite of my attempts to mess up Haley and Anna, they turned out as well as they did. Because I can think of many ways that I could have sabotaged my own calling to be a father. Does that make sense? Yeah, sometimes you know, we mess our kids up. I remember hearing on Christian radio a few years ago uh, this program that involved a couple of Christian counselors, and they say that when they're, that parents send their kids to counseling, they said, but we also counsel our parents. We cancel the parents until the kids get better. Yeah, see, we can sabotage our own calling. And when it comes to ministry, 
I'm talking about like vocational ministry or ministry in the church or ministry on a platform or ministry that involves a number of people, we can begin to think that our calling is so great that we excuse our lifestyle. That we excuse wrong behavior. We excuse ourselves when we don't live a life worthy of our calling. Why is that? Because we as human beings, we tend to judge ourselves by our intentions instead of by our actions. Paul is not saying intend to live a life worthy of your calling. He says live a life worthy of your calling. I urge you, live a life. And we do this not only as individuals. We do this as churches. And, you know, I just believe it's part of God's call on my life to help the church, the broader church, not just Victory Church, but the regional church, and maybe beyond that, but I know at least in the regional church, to address this issue. Because it's, it's time that churches no longer make excuses for wrong behavior for leaders in the church whose lifestyles are not worthy of their calling. Oh, me. There's a book that came out by a professor at Capitol Seminary in Lancaster, not too far away from here, called Something's Not Right. And he talks about the fact that he studied thousands and thousands of cases where churches, instead of addressing wrong behavior of leaders in the church, instead address the image of the church. It becomes more about image management than it is about character management. And God is interested not in some image that we present to the world. He's interested in the character that we present to the world. Amen? Amen. Amen. And, you know, I, I understand the temptation to do this, what I'm about to say. When someone falls, someone who we know has a call on their life, then one of the first things we begin to think is, oh, they have such a call, how can we preserve and protect that call? When we had an instance this past summer where we had to release one of our own staff members, so many times people who had been ministered to by that person would express more concern about that person Sometimes because what we've received, what we receive from the man on the platform, what we receive from the church that's involved in scandal, we're so captivated by that that we don't think about the victims in those instances. We don't think about the character of Christ and whether that is what we're presenting to the world. Am I meddling now? Yes, I am. But this is real. This, this hits home. Instead of protecting the church, instead of protecting the flock, people try to protect a call upon some leader. And we have to think, first of all, about protecting the sheep. If you love Jesus, Jesus said to Peter, then feed my sheep. Take care of my lambs. Amen? See, we sometimes think, oh, we don't want to ruin their calling. I remember another instance years ago in this church, young man commits sins. And, you know, the thing that I hear, even the thing that I thought myself is, oh, we want to protect the calling. We want to preserve the calling. We don't want to ruin the calling. 
folks, when somebody does something that is not worthy of their calling, we haven't ruined their calling when we call them out on it. They've ruined their own calling. And I know that God can heal and bless and restore and forgive, but sometimes we're so emphatic about that that we fail to protect the flock, we fail to protect the sheep. And God is interested in more than just protecting an individual's calling. You, you can, you know, we started out this series talking about Moses and his call. Moses had a definitive call, didn't he? We talked about the burning bush where he had an experience. It was no longer just the thought that maybe the people of Israel would recognize God was sending him to set them free from slavery. He had a call from God. He had a commission. Go Tell Pharaoh, let my people go. He had the promise of signs and wonders and miracles to back up that call, to back up that mission. And on his way to Egypt, in Exodus chapter 4, verse 24, it says, At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met Moses again. He said, Son, I'm proud of you. Keep on going. No, he says that the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. Was about... God was going to kill the man he had just called and sent to Egypt. Why? Because it was so important. God was rescuing a covenant people. God was claiming a whole nation as his very own people, his covenant nation. And Moses was going without having paid attention to the foremost sign of the covenant according to the old covenant, which was circumcision. He had not circumcised his own children. He had not acknowledged his own family's covenant with God. And God said, yeah, I've given you a big call, but you can't fulfill the call to my covenant people if you're not keeping the covenant. Zipporah took a flint knife, cut off her son's foreskin, touched Moses' feet with it. Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me, she said. So the Lord let him alone. The Lord let him live. Am I saying that to scare you? No, I'm just saying that God has called us to live according to a high calling. And not even Moses was exempt from the signs of the covenant. And we have a better covenant. And we're not judged by the externals that the Pharisees put the emphasis on. Their righteousness was all external. But Jesus said, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. We are called to live a righteous life. Church, we're called to live a righteous life. Amen? Yeah. See, we put a lot of emphasis on what we're called to do and how important the mission is, how great the mission is, whether, you know, it's our mission as parents, as spouses, as Sunday school teachers, life group leaders. We have a lot of emphasis on what we're called to do. Whether we're called to be a fireman or a policeman or a lawyer or a doctor. And we put a lot of emphasis on what we're called to do. But you know what God does? And this is a repeat from last week as well. God puts the emphasis on who we're called to be. Verse 2, after Paul says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling with which you were called. He says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Being called by God gives no one a license to mistreat others who are also called by God. Amen? 
being called to be the pastor of a church doesn't give that pastor the right to lord it over those that he or she leads. Any ministry volunteer, wherever it might be, being in leadership does not give you a right to in any way be abusive toward others under your care. Leading a, an outreach team on a big day of service and things aren't going well, things aren't going the way you planned, organization has fallen through a little bit and it's all on your shoulders, doesn't give you a right to mistreat anybody else. Now, I don't know that that happened. I doubt that that happened at a Victory Church outreach. But I know that it happens in ministry contexts all over the world. I had a friend who was fairly well-known in ministry and had access to a whole lot of high-level leaders, well-known national leaders. You know what he said to me? He said, Ed, I can tell how much of a man of God they are by how they treat the waiter in the restaurant. That's a pretty good measure, isn't it? You know, there are those who just treated them like slaves or servants, and there were others who treated them like human beings worthy of the love of God. And I believe that how you treat a waiter can be more of a sign of God's call being fulfilled in your life than leading a big ministry. Who we are as men and women of God is far more important than our achievements as men and women of God. I think that's a good lesson to know. I didn't always know that. You know? I didn't start ministry with big dreams and goals. But I began to learn the importance of a vision. You know, when I first started out in ministry, we read books like Without a Vision, the People Perish, and you got to have a vision. And then we started learning a whole lot about leadership and leadership principles and, you know, moving toward the vision, and I became consumed with the vision that God had given us for Victory Church, and it was a legitimate vision, a legitimate call, just like Moses' call, to go to set people free from slavery in Egypt. But sometimes, I have to admit, that my concept of leadership, my concept of moving toward the goal, of making things happen, sometimes overrode my concept of what it meant to be gentle and humble and to be the kind of leader whose heart reflected the heart of Jesus. I didn't pay proper attention to how I should be treating the people who God had given to work with me. But I had some good examples along the way too. I have to admit that. Anybody remember Don Harper? He went on to be with the Lord just not that long ago. And he was a wonderful member of our church board for many years. He had been a member of this church long before Lisa and I got here. And then he had gone and then he came back after Lisa and I got here and just stepped right into this wonderful leadership. And I remember one board meeting where he came and he was heartbroken. And he said, I have to resign from the board. I can't be on the board. Why not, Don? He said, because 
I've been getting short-tempered lately, and my heart's not reflecting the heart of the Father, and I can't lead like that. Folks, that's leadership. That's the call of God. We convinced him that, yeah, your call, Don, it's okay. You could stay on the board. And didn't mean that he didn't need to make sure that his heart was soft before the Lord. But the fact that he was concerned about it, and to him, that was more of a qualifier than anything else, said something about his heart in the first place, didn't it? Do we have that kind of heart before the Lord and our heart with people? Verse 2 again, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. When Don didn't see that in his own life, he knew that he wasn't living out God's call on his life. And he didn't want a platform. He didn't want to be on the board if he couldn't do it that way. Can you say that you don't want a platform, a position, that you don't want status if you can't do it that way? What if we all declared that right now? What if I declared that as a pastor? God, I don't want to be a pastor if I can't do it that way. I don't want to be an apostle. I don't want to be anything in anybody else's eyes if in your eyes I'm not reflecting the heart of Jesus, the heart of the Father. That's what you're called to. Amen? That's more important than what you're called to do. What if your church doesn't grow? What if your ministry doesn't function the way it should? This is more important. We're supposed to bear fruit, aren't we? Not just make excuses, well, you know, I'm just faithful. No, God expects you to bear fruit, but he expects you to bear this kind of fruit. Amen? Amen. As for what we're called to do, you are called to do something. And I think verse 3 speaks to that. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. In other words, what you're called to do, ultimately, it goes back to maintaining, keeping, maintaining, building the unity of the family of God. If it's all about you, if it's all about me, and it doesn't keep the bond of peace that the Spirit is giving us, what are we doing, folks? Amen? It's all about His church. It's all about God, and it's all about his church. Jesus said, I'm building my church, and the gates of hell will not stand against it. That's the first time the word ecclesia is used in the New Testament. Do you know what the word ecclesia means, the word for church? It means called out. You are, by definition, God's called out and called together. Even though the word means called out, it was used of an assembly of people who were called out. You are called out of the world and called to be the family of God. That's God's agenda. That's what Jesus is working on. That's what he's doing, and he's called you to be a part of that. And if your ministry idea, you're thinking about your call, makes you more important than the body of Christ, something's out of whack. And, you know, I love parachurch ministry. I received my call, in some sense, from Billy Graham, who operated an evangelistic ministry, but even Billy Graham made sure that every campaign that he did was tied into the local church. And when he, later on in life, 
express regrets, it was that he didn't spend more time in just discipleship in a local church context. That's what it's about. Make every effort. Make every effort to be that caring, committed community of worshipers. Amen? Now, I've talked about being gentle, humble, patient, bearing with one another. But Paul also says make every effort. In other words, being humble and gentle and reflecting the character of Jesus doesn't mean being passive about this. You know, we're supposed to spur one another on to love and good works. We're not supposed to be passive about the call of God upon our lives. We're supposed to pursue God's call. And so I want to point out another passage of Scripture where Paul points to that. He says in Philippians 3, verse 12, Not that I have already obtained all this. And in the previous verses, he's talking about being more like Jesus and, you know, reflecting the character of Jesus. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Are you taking hold of that for which Jesus took hold of you? He's taken hold of you, but you've got to take hold of that for which he took hold of you. Amen? Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind. That doesn't mean forget what God's done for you. Forget the miracles that God has done. He's talking about forgetting the accolades that he earned for himself. He says, one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on. There it is again. I press on. He's straining. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. You have received a great call on your life because you've arrived. You've somehow earned it. Now, the call is an invitation to a different kind of life. The call is an invitation to live like Jesus. And the call is to do something that is eternal, that has eternal impact because it's tied in with God's agenda of building His church. But being called is not a sign of, a revi- of arrival. It's an invitation. It is an invitation. And you've got to press into it. You've got to take hold of the purpose for which God took hold of you. You can't be passive about this. Sometimes when we see a super tall kid, we think, wow, he must be a basketball player. Not necessarily. I was fairly tall, taller than average in junior high and high school. And a lot of times I got the question, do you play basketball? I bet you'd be good at basketball. I did not play basketball. Maybe I, maybe I would have been good at basketball. But we'll never know because I never played basketball except for a few pickup games every once in a while. I didn't care. I didn't like basketball. I like football. So we'll never know if I could have been a good basketball player. I, I could have been, you know, an Allen Iverson. You know, I'm short for a professional football, a basketball player. But we'll never know if I had that natural ability because I never did anything. And I'm sure that's true of a lot of potential athletes who never do it. I liked football. That's what I played, Pop Warner and in junior high. I loved football. And then in eighth grade, we moved to a town where they did not have a football team. I was so upset, 13 years old. You can't blame me. I still cried about it. Seriously. 
I cried. I love football so much. So I was robbed of the opportunity to play football. Maybe, you know, Pastor Michael and I could have been teammates on the New York Jets. But we'll never know because I never had an opportunity. And, and then I wanted to be a lawyer. Sometimes people say, well, you would have been a good lawyer. You don't know. I don't know because I never had a chance. Fortunately, God called me to something else. Whether I'm any good at it or not, you know, <laughs> the jury's still out on that. But I know I'm not terrible. I know I'm called to it. I know I'm called to ministry. But I had to do something. I had to press in. I had to press on. I had to take hold of it. I had to do something. I couldn't just sit in my dorm room my junior year in college and think, huh, God's called me. Let's see what happens. It doesn't work that way. You've got to be humble and gentle, but you also have to press on. You have to press in. You have to string forward. I know that for me, pressing forward, because I'm a junior in college, like, okay, God, do I change my major from Spanish and government? You know why I was majoring in Spanish and government? Because I wanted to be a Latin American dictator, you know? <laughs> Not really. Although when I did tell my friends that, you know, jokingly, that I was double majoring in government Spanish to be a Latin American dictator, they thought I was telling the truth. <laughs> but I asked God. God said, no, finish what you're doing. Finish what you're doing. Sometimes, you know, when God calls you to something, it doesn't mean just throw out what you're doing, you know? You're, you're a children's ministry teacher, and God says, you know, someday you're going to preach to thousands. Oh, <laughs> I'm going to quit teaching children then. No, no, that's part of the path. He doesn't necessarily mean for you to quit your job and then start doing something else if you feel this strong call to serve in some way. You need to listen to the Lord because he loves to just, you know, bless and work through people right where they are. Yes, some he calls from shepherding the flock, some he calls from fishing for fish, but some he just continues to work through and use in whatever station they are in life, and there are other scriptures to back that up. So I had to finish a college degree that didn't have anything to do with ministry. That was part of God's call. It involved getting a graduate degree. You say, well, why did you have to go to seminary? Do you have to go to seminary to be a pastor? No, I had to go to seminary so that I would have at least three or four years before God inflicted me on any local church. <laughs> and there's a lot of truth to that. I needed that time of preparation. So I went to seminary. You don't have to go to seminary to be a pastor, but I did. That was part of God's call in my life. And part of that was finding the right life partner who I found in seminary. And we're still hanging out. We still kind of like each other. We love each other. And that's Lisa right over here. That's part of God's call. Amen. It, it involved when, when I'm in seminary, I'm thinking, man, I'm going to graduate in a year or two. And I don't know what in the world I'm going to do. And I had friends and teachers saying the United Methodist Church would be a good way to go. And I was in a seminary that was approved for United Methodist pastors. I was like, huh, maybe I should give that a try. God opened a door that I know was his call, being a pastor in the United Methodist Church. But then the call also involved leaving Oklahoma, leaving the United Methodist Church. 
a few weeks ago, I met with a young man who's recently started attending Victory Church, and he said, you know, I just want to know more about your call to Victory Church. I mean, this guy wasn't even born when Lisa and I were called to Victory Church. And you know, I'm thinking, nobody wants to know about my call to Victory Church. I haven't talked about my call to Victory Church for years. Who cares about what happened over 29 years ago? But he wanted to know. He was interested. And I thought, since I'm preaching on the call of God, maybe it would be a good Sunday to briefly share about God's call on me and Lisa to this church. Because God called me in Oklahoma. I just felt there were some circumstances that made me uneasy in United Methodism, uneasy with what I was doing there. And I thought, you know, pray, God, what do you have for me? And I, I heard the voice of God in my spirit, not audibly, but I heard the Lord say, go to the northeast of the United States and go back to your roots, which were assemblies of God. Northeast. I married a Connecticut Yankee who did not want to move back to the Northeast. She liked the Southern lifestyle. She would have been content to stay down South. Pastor Steve moved from Pennsylvania to Tennessee, was there 18 years. I think he liked the Tennessee lifestyle. But God said, God told this young man who had earlier in life said, I'm never going to live up North. I'm always going to be a Southerner. God said, go to the Northeast and go back to the church of your roots. And so while I was in Oklahoma, I thought, well, I guess I need to get credentialed with the Assemblies of God. I went to talk to the Assemblies of God district superintendent in Oklahoma City. He literally tried to talk me out of transferring to the Assemblies of God. He said, you know, in United Methodism, you are guaranteed a pastorate for the rest of your life. Guaranteed a job. He said, I can't guarantee you anything. We have people who have been looking for churches for years and can't find one. I have a guy right now living in his parents' cabin out in the woods because he can't get a church. He came from the Methodist church too, and he can't get a job. When I went before the committee to be voted on, he said, I tried to talk him out of it, but he feels called. And they said, okay then. And so we came into the Assemblies of God. Back 30 years ago, the only people who knew the churches that were looking for a new pastor were the district superintendents. And they kept tight control over that information. They didn't just disseminate a list as they do today saying these churches are open. No, if you wanted to know what churches were looking for pastors, you had to ask a district superintendent. And if you weren't part of their network already, you would not get an open door, especially a low-level pastor like I was 29 years ago. So I became Assemblies of God in Oklahoma. From there, sent out resumes all over the Northeast. And just to show you how ignorant I was, I sent resumes to Oklahoma. I thought, I mean, to Ohio. I thought Ohio was in the Northeast. I didn't know. Seemed Northeast to me from Oklahoma. It was Northeast of Oklahoma. But we sent out resumes all over the Northeast, New England down to Virginia, you know. And, uh, Guess how many nibbles I got on all those resumes? Zero. And I would call and talk to district superintendents and write to them and said, you know, well, we, we thank God for your ministry, but we don't have anything for you. And if we do have openings, they're for people that are already in our district looking for churches. So we ended up moving to Connecticut to live with Lisa's dad in a little two-bedroom apartment. On the way, though, from Oklahoma to 
Connecticut, we stopped to visit a high school drinking buddy of mine. He was no longer a drinking buddy. He's still a friend with whom I'd maintained contact over the years in spite of not having Facebook. Uh, <laughs> and we spent a couple of nights with them. Do you know where they live? Montgomery County, Pennsylvania. And while we were there, it's like, Lisa, I think God might be calling us to this region. And I called, I called the local Assemblies of God leaders, like, no, we don't have anything. He said, I know some people in Elverson who are thinking about starting a church, but, you know, I called them and there weren't really any plans and I didn't feel called to plant a church. So we ended up going on to Connecticut. The first weekend that we were there, my father-in-law had arranged for me to speak at the Full Gospel Businessmen's Meeting in Bristol, Connecticut. And he said, oh, there's a great Assembly of God church there. And we'll stop and we'll talk to the pastor and he'll help you. And I'm thinking, a local pastor does not have the names of churches looking for pastors. He can't help me. I need a superintendent to help me. And then I thought, well, you know, I'm just going to humor my father-in-law. It'll be 6 o'clock before we get to Bristol. Pastor Friday night won't be there, and we'll just drive into the parking lot, and then we'll leave, and then, you know, maybe God will do some miracle and open a door for me. So I humored my father-in-law. We go to this church at 6 p.m., and as we're pulling into this empty parking lot, another car had just pulled in before us, and who was getting out? The pastor. He had forgotten something. Holy amnesia. He had forgotten something, had to go back to the church. We began talking. Don introduced me. Yeah, this is my son-in-law. He's a son of God pastor. He's looking for an open church. Can you help him? Uh, this pastor, Joe Timberlake, said, uh, how's, how's your search for the open churches going? I said, terrible. I just can't find any open churches. I, none of the superintendents will do so, anything for me. He said, well, come with me to my office, and I'm going to do something for you that no superintendent will do. And he took me to his office, and there he had page after page of churches all over the United States, Assemblies of God churches, looking for pastors. He, I found out later, was one of only two people in the whole United States who kept kind of an underground information system on open churches. just a coincidence right there was no church in this area on the list he gave me about 10 churches to look at oh what size what kind of you know community you're looking in there was one near Pittsburgh that looked good and I called and the guy said uh, we're no longer looking for a pastor uh, I said well, are you the new pastor he said yes I said where did you come from trooper Pennsylvania I said, do, do they have a new pastor yet? He says, no, I don't think they do. Let me give you a number of somebody to call. Folks, I knew that was God's call. I knew it. I sent out dozens of resumes, but there was only one church that I bugged with any kind of follow-up, and that was this one. Because I knew, it's like, God, I, I, I was like, you know, dear search team, please pray about this. I feel like this is God. And, of course, they invited me and Lisa to come and candidate the Spirit of God poured out in such power, they had to vote me and Lisa in. 
and we've been here ever since. And I can tell you, it's good to be called. It's good to be where you are called. It's good to be who you're called to be. And I haven't always done that in that who. But, you know, the next phase of ministry is devoted to that. Amen. 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 God's getting us ready for that next phase. And it's good to be called because the call, fulfilling the call, is not easy. As I said that first Sunday preaching about Moses, if we don't have a strong sense of call, a lot of times when we hit opposition and difficulties, we give up. But when we know that we're called, and I know that we're called here, and we've never been called anywhere else. We've never been called to go some other church. Sometimes when I'm on vacation, I think, you know, maybe it would be good to have beach church or mountaintop church or something like that. But God hasn't called. It's good to be where God's called you because when you know that you're called, you can get through it. You can press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has taken hold of you. What are you called to do? What has God done in your life to direct the course of your life so that you can say, I know I'm called, I'm called, I'm called. Revisit that. I think it was part of God's plan for that young man to ask me to revisit my call. I think it was part of God's plan for me to share that today. Because there's no promise that the next 10 years of ministry will be any easier, right? But I believe that God has something wonderful in store for this church. Something big, something huge. And I want to be a part of it. And I hope you want to be a part of it. And you sense God's call. Because it does have to do with being more like Jesus and building up the family of God, making every effort to maintain the unity and keep adding to that unity. Not a unity that's closed to the world, but a unity that enables us to reach our world for Jesus. God has called Victory Church to equip a caring, committed community of worshipers to reach their world, for you to reach your world for Jesus. Let's do it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity. We thank you, Lord, for your call upon each individual here. And, Lord, we want to live a life worthy of the calling. We want to live a life worthy of the calling. Lord, we don't want to make excuses. We don't want to sabotage our own calling. We don't want just to judge ourselves based upon our intentions when our lifestyles fall so very far short of what you're calling us to. Lord God, we want to live a life that reflects the character of Jesus more and more and more. Lord, we pray that in this time when so many people are upset with church, upset with tradition, upset with status quo, that, Lord God, you would help our church to be the church that you've called us to be, to be the church you've called us to be, not conforming to the pressures of this world, not conforming to the mold, the patterns of this world, but, Lord, conforming to the character of Jesus. Thank you, Lord God, for the calling with which every individual in this room is called. And if you have never said yes to the call of God upon your life, if you said never said yes to Jesus, right now is the time to say yes. And I'm going to lead you in a prayer to say yes to God's call upon your life. Yes to Jesus being the one who gives direction to your life, being the Lord of your life. Would you pray this with me? I want to ask everybody here to pray it out loud with me. Pray these words. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your great love. I believe Jesus died 
He was raised from the dead. And He is Lord. Be the Lord of my life. Forgive me of all my sin. Fill me with Your Spirit. Help me to live for You. Help me to live like You, Jesus. Have Your way in my life. Have Your way in my heart. Have Your way in my family. Have Your way in my workplace. Have Your way in my school. Be glorified, O oh God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you just prayed that, praise God. Welcome to the family of God. The Bible says if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. If Jesus just came into your life, that's the introduction to a whole new lifestyle. There are some important next steps for you to press on toward, just like the Apostle Paul. Press on, and Pastor Jason's going to come. Thanks for listening to the Victory Church Podcast. If this message inspired you, feel free to share it with your friends, family, and social media. And make sure to subscribe to hear future messages from Victory Church. If you'd like to support the mission of Victory, please visit getvictory.net slash give. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day.